And welcome to this month's Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai, sold not in a listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. As always, thanks to Recess Duty for playing us in with our theme song. Well, we've got a good show for you this month, but of course, up first, it's always Beer News. The 2024 Alaska Craft Brew and Barley Wine Festival was held at the Denina Center in Anchorage on the 2nd and 3rd of February. In the winter warmer competition, Sinisure Brewing of Anchorage took third place with its No Dark Belgian Ale. Sierra Nevada Brewing's Barrel Aged Norwal Imperial Stout took second. And Anchorage's 49th State Brewing's Barrel Aged Intrepid Russian Imperial Stout brewed with spruce tips, took first place. In the barley wine category, Black Spruce Brewing from Fairbanks took third place with its Heaven Hills Rye Whiskey Barrel-Aged Barley Wine. Sinisure Brewing took second place with its Barrel-Aged Barley Wine. And Black Spruce also took first place with its Reginald Van Horn Bourbon Barrel-Aged Barley Wine. Congratulations to all the winning breweries. The 9th Annual Frozen River Fest took place on Saturday, February 17th at Soldotna Creek Park. Breweries were in attendance from as far away as Fairbanks, and several Anchorage-based breweries attended for the first time. For the second year in a row, Naptown Brewing of Sterling took home the People's Choice Award as the most popular brewery. Anchorage Brewing has announced the return of the Culmination Beer Festival. Perhaps the most prestigious beer festival in Alaska, this festival has been on hiatus since COVID. This year's culmination will be held on Saturday, July 13th. More details will be released later. Two Seasons Meadery in Anchorage has announced that it will be closing its taproom at the end of March. The announcement reads, quote, It comes with a very heavy heart, but due to the changing tides, we have decided to no longer have a taproom space. When we started our business, we came into it with a passion to bring styles of mead that were using modern techniques but paying homage to traditional meads. Five years ago, when we opened our little taproom, we could not have imagined how far we had come. We do have plans for the future of Two Seasons Meadery, but we will announce these once they are more concrete. Thank you, everyone, for enjoying our meads throughout the years. Skull. On Sunday, February 18th, Devil's Club Brewing Company in Juneau released its first cider under the name House Cider. At 6.9% alcohol by volume, the brewery describes it as rich, dry, clean, and chuggable. 
The brewery celebrated the release by having live music in its tap room for the very first time, something which only became possible with the new alcohol law went into effect on New Year's Day. In late January, it was announced that Carlsberg-owned Marston's Brewing Company was retiring its four remaining union sets at Marston's Brewery in Burton-on-Trent, Staffordshire, in Britain. I'll have a segment later in the show discussing why the extinction of this old type of brewing process is so significant. Up next, we'll have an interview with Clark Pells of Sinisure Brewing Company. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Support the businesses and organizations that support public radio. You hear our underwriters throughout the day on KDLL. Tell them thanks when you're out and about in the community. Find a list of KDLL underwriters at kdll.org slash underwriting. And find information about how you can share your business or organization with your fellow listeners. kdll.org slash underwriting. Clark Pells, the owner of Sinisure Brewing in Anchorage. Clark, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, doing doing great, Bill. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, of course. Uh, first up, uh, I want to congratulate you on your outstanding showing at uh, the uh, Alaska Craft Brew and Barley Wine Festival. Uh, you got the bronze in winter warmer and the silver in barley wine, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. we were psyched about that. Yeah, that was that was very good. Those are both. Um, well, they're simpler, lower ABV beers, and I was really happy with how they performed in that um, competition. People may be familiar with your no. Till I went up there, I hadn't had your barley wine, I think, because it's the first time you ever brewed one. So why don't you describe well, it to folks a little bit? Maybe I'll start with the no. The no is a Belgian-style winter warmer a Belgian style, dark, strong, spiced with um, orange peel and coriander, kind of subtly spiced. Uh, yeah, so that and that's been a perennial for um, oh, almost as long as we've been around. Um, I think it was a couple of years before we brewed it. Very nice, food friendly beer. The barley wine. It was the first time we brewed it, but we brewed it two years ago, and it's the only time we've brewed a barley wine brewed it in the, geez, I think it was the late fall of 2020. Yeah, I know it was the seventh, well, it was the seventh brew of the year, anyhow. It was a British, well, it's hard for me to say whether it's a British style or an American style barley wine. It was an American style barley wine in that it was pretty assertively hot. Um, I think about uh, 70, 70 plus IBUs is what we calculated it to be. But it was brewed with all British ingredients. We put a portion of it in uh, bourbon barrels, Sazerac bourbon barrels, broke them open this fall and uh, back blended with some reserved barley wine that had aged in um, stainless steel kegs. Yeah, and, and released it this year. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I w thought it was exceptional. I mean, I, I, I had the chance, you know, to try both the, the straight barley wine and then your blend, and uh, the the blend was just uh, absolutely fantastic. I'm not surprised at all that it won the the silver medal. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. So let's talk about how things are going there. Uh, it's in Assure. How are you guys doing? How's business? 
we're doing we're doing quite well. Got a great group of um, regular customers that come in, pull in a lot of um, travelers in the summertime. Very happy with the beers that we've been producing. Yeah, I think that business climate-wise, it's been a little bit of a uh, challenge. Prices have, uh, you know, ingredient prices and shipping costs in particular have really increased. And our sales last year, year over year, started off relatively strong, but really dropped off in the fall. So, you know, we went from being up slightly year over year the first three quarters to um, finishing the year down slightly. Um, So basically flat. And this spring so far seems to have recovered somewhat, but we're still off um, off year over year sales totals at the taproom. And I'm not sure why that is. Hmm. But apart from that, we're looking forward to a um, strong summer and yeah, all that that brings. So if people, you know, if our listeners are looking to get your beer, obviously they can get it at the tap room there. And I know I've picked up bottle versions at like La Bodega. Is there anywhere else that they could find it if they are looking for it, if they're up in Anchorage and they don't have time to go by the tap room or they want to get it somewhere else? Uh, boy, you know, certainly um, we currently don't put beer in small packages with the exception of um, some limited bottle conditioned releases, which have been made available through uh, um, La Bodega. So really that's about the only place where you can pick up a container and um, take it home. We occasionally are on Brown Jug Warehouse's Growler Bar, and that would be another option if we were there. Our beer, We work through specialty imports and our beers are distributed throughout the state. And I'm trying to remember where we are down on Kenai. Kenai Joe's, I believe, is a spot down there. Yeah. Um, anyhow, yeah, we're kind of, um, we are around for odd draft. Well, the other one I want to mention, because every time I've had it, I've just been impressed. It's just impressed the hell out of me, is your Brett Saison. I don't know how frequently you make that, but I just want to put the word out to my listeners that if you see the opportunity to get a bottle or a sample Sinisher's Brett Saison, that stuff is fantastic. Oh, well, thanks, Bill. Yeah, we... If you like Brett. Per- yeah, <laughs> Some right, people don't exactly. Like Brett, but I love Brett, it, so... It's pretty mild... Well, so far, it's been pretty mildly uh, Brett-flavored. It's not super intense. We produce that kind of as needed. We have a couple barrels that... Um, I have inoculated with Britannomyces yeast and will occasionally you know, empty half the barrels and then top them back up um, with fresh Saison and um, release that as the bottle conditioned beer. That should be available at La Bodega and certainly available at the taproom. The sooner we get through this um, previous batch of Brett conditioned Saison, the sooner we can turn those barrels and produce some more. Well, that's, again, that I guess is sometimes the problem with Brett beers is that you're shooting for a niche market, the, those of us out here who really love Brett. So, uh, but, uh, and I, uh, I'm definitely in that camp. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's why we do it. Well, fortunately, the Brett does, um, it holds up well in the bottle, too. So right. that's, that's kind of nice. I didn't get a chance when I saw you in January. 
you were wearing your red hat that said make ipas clear again <laughs> which i love i love that hat if you'd had any you could have sold a hundred of them around there but uh I know for a long time you resisted even the concept of brewing an IPA when you first opened because you were going to focus on Belgians and lagers and kind of the underserved market. But uh, you you did eventually have to bow to reality, right? Well, I guess, I mean, I love IPAs. Certainly at the time we opened, it was kind of peak IPA in the market. And I just didn't see what we had to offer in in the way of IPAs. So it was a couple years before we started playing around with IPAs. We went through a series of 10 different IPAs, sort of um, playing around with the, the, the malt recipe first and then the, um, the hop recipe, you know, the, those portions of the recipe, and eventually dialed in our signature IPA which is a West Coast IPA brewed without, well, with very little um, crystal or caramel malt in it but, and um, citrus, citra hops and, uh, um, you know, sort of West, West Coast contemporary style IPA, um, 6.4% ABV and about 60 IBUs, I think. So modest by today's standards. We also started brewing a cold IPA, bit of an odd duck style, but it is a IPA that was, it's brewed with um, rice adjunct and lager yeast fermented warm. So it still ferments quickly, but clean, a little bit cleaner than an ale yeast. And I think that the, the rice lager kind of, and the, the rice adjuncts and the lager yeast kind of, um, gets those flavors out of the way of the hops. So it produces a, uh, a very bright hop forward IPA. And that one we've done six iterations on. We play around with the hop balance at each, each iteration. And that's called our Vivid Cold IPA. Well, that's good. So, it, yeah. You know, if you're going to do it, you want to do something, you want to do something different rather than just doing one because everybody's doing one kind of a thing, which... Uh, I, I certainly do. Yeah, yeah. And when you first opened up, I was kind of happy when you said, no, I'm going to focus on Belgians and lagers. And I was like, great, that's what we need, because people weren't brewing those as much as they had been. That seemed like all everybody wanted to do was brew the next hoppiest thing. So what are your plans for the near future? Have you got any uh, exciting new releases coming out? Are you going to be... <laughs> Doing any equipment changes? Anything? Uh, anything in the near next three or four months of uh, import? Let's see. Um, you know, it's a little bit um, a little bit between seasons for us. We currently have a a stout in the system, which will be released within the next couple weeks, I think. But we took a portion of the stout and um, separated it from the batch. And we have a small conditioning tank, a two-barrel conditioning tank that we um, um, side-streamed some of the stout into and um, aged with a little bit of cocoa nibs and vanilla beans and released for Valentine's Day. That's called uh, Twist and Stout. And that's available now. The un-augmented or un, 
I want to say adulterated. Uh, modified. Uh, uh, yes, modified. <laughs> it will be available within two weeks. So, And that is kind of what we have available in new beers in the system right now. I expect that we'll be doing a, a sour beer here pretty soon, and I anticipate that it'll be a um, prickly pear. I haven't checked availability on the puree, but um, a prickly pear, lime zest, kettle sour. I want to get away from our technique of kettle souring, and I'm going to I anticipate playing around with some of these um, new strains of yeast that produce lactic acid, um, lactic acid bacteria, or lactic, lactic acid. Yeah, there are a couple strains that are different strains of yeast, but they uh, produce lactic acid. So we get away from the kettle souring and introducing um, bacteria into the into the system early in the system before boil, so right. you know it doesn't get over into the guts of the brewery. So we'll be doing another another cold IPA here pretty soon. I anticipate we'll be doing a pilsner very soon in time for um, spring. Yeah, so that's kind of what is on the drawing board. Now that all sounds very interesting. I'd love to sample all of it. <laughs> well, hey, Clark, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I really do appreciate it. And again, congratulations on all the awards. Well-deserved. Well, thank uh, you. We'll look forward to uh, checking out your newest stuff when it gets gets down here at uh, Kenai right. Joe's or wherever. So. All right. Very good. All righty. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We'll be right back with our next segment. Come on, I drink good beer when I go home. I got the beer bar boogie, you know. Beer bar boogie for show. Everybody doing it. Beer bar boogie now. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here in KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna. As I promised earlier in the show, we're now going to have a segment on the significance of the Burton Union system, the last one of which was just retired in Britain. The Burton Union system is the name for a wooden barrel fermentation system that was used predominantly by the brewers in and around Burton-on-Trent, England, in the mid to late 19th century. It was also referred to as a union set. Among the notable brewers who employed this system were Bass Brewery and Marston's Brewery. Until recently, Marston's was the last brewery in England who still utilized this system. A union set is an amazing and strange brewing anomaly, consisting of large wood barrel casks, each 150 imperial gallons in size, ranging from 24 to 60 in number, which are positioned on their sides in rows, typically suspended off the floor in a wood or metal frame by large metal axles. The barrels are spaced evenly, and each is fitted with a bottom valve that leads to a bottom trough. A cooling coil is installed in each barrel to control fermentation temperature with chilled water. The barrels are linked together by a series of side rod pipes so that liquid can be evenly dispersed throughout the union from a feeder vessel. A swan neck pipe leads from the top of each barrel to a top trough, which is suspended over the barrels and is slightly pitched to one end. Connected to this trough at the lower end is the feeder trough. The union is fed by gravity from the primary fermentation vessels with fresh, actively fermenting ale wort, typically 12 to 24 hours after yeast has been added. At this time in the fermentation process, the yeast is very active. The fermenting wort is introduced to the system at the feeder vessel and flows into the barrel through the side rods, flooding the union. As the yeast ferments, it is forced out of the barrels in foamy bursts, along with some beer, through the swan necks and into the top trough. Here, some of the yeast stays behind while the beer runs down the trough into the feeder vessel and back into the casks through the side rods. As the fermentation proceeds, a large amount of healthy, viable yeast is retained in the top trough, and the beer in the barrels, now cleansed of its yeast, gradually becomes bright. The yeast is collected from the top trough for subsequent fermentations and is considered of very high quality. After about six days in the union, 
The fully fermented beer can be dropped out of the barrels through the bottom valve and collected in the bottom trough. This beer is then moved to a finishing vessel blended with other beer or packaged in casks. Although the Burton Union system is spectacularly ungainly, it is also oddly beautiful. At the height of the system's use in the 1800s, a large brewery such as Bass would have employed dozens of union sets, each of them capable of fermenting over 250 U.S. barrels of beer at a time. The oak was never used for flavoring the beer, and the brewers at Marston's also preferred maintaining older, neutral barrels and did not select wood based on the flavor that it will impart. Like brewers 150 years ago, they were interested instead in the quality of the yeast and the character of the fermentation that the system produces because of its unique design and materials. The union system was very labor and capital intensive to employ and requires constant maintenance by an experienced cooper. Cleaning is difficult and is conducted with large amount of hot water and manual labor. Modern cleaning chemicals and automated cleaning systems cannot be used with wood. This has resulted in the union process being largely abandoned by British brewers, Bass having discontinued the use of Burton unions in the 1980s. Marston's used the union largely for the production of their flagship Pedigree Bitter. With its latest announcements, Marston's will be shifting its fermentation completely to stainless steel fermenters marking the end of this historic brewing technology in the land of its birth. However, this does not mark the absolute end of the union set. Firestone Walker Brewing Company in Paso Robles, California, utilizes a modified Burton Union fermentation system and is the only brewery in the world who is recognized as operating a union set today. The union set is used to produce the brewery's flagship double-barrel ale, Walker's Reserve Porter, and Pale 31 beers. Their system does not utilize an elaborate system of swan necks and troughs, but rather uses flexible hose and smaller receiving buckets. It consists of new American oak barrels, 60 U.S. gallons in size, which are toasted inside similar to winemaker's barrels and impart wood flavor to the beer. Firestone Walker's system is not utilized to collect yeast, However, the unique geometry of the system, along with the new American oak barrels, has a profound effect on the flavor of the beer. In the Firestone process, 24-hour-old fermenting wort is delivered to the individual barrels utilizing a racking cane. The wort is then allowed to ferment without any temperature controls in a series of barrels ranging from 32 to 48 in number. As the beer ferments, brown yeast and foam are pushed from the barrels to the receiving bucket, and the cast-off foam is discarded. The finished beer has a notable soft and fruity character with a pronounced oaky vanilla note compared with beer simply fermented in stainless steel vessels. A part of me is sad that British brewing has lost this last remnant of Victorian brewing technology. However, given the expense of maintaining such a system, I suppose its demise in our current age of tight budgets and laser-like focus on profits was only a matter of time. We'll be right back with our next interview. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. It's pick-click-give time for Alaskans. 
When you file for the Alaska Permanent Fund dividend, you can support your favorite nonprofit organizations. Do you value public radio? Donations help KDLL provide the news, features, and entertainment programming you trust from around the world and right here at home. Apply for your dividend at pfd.alaska.gov by March 31st. And pick, click, give to help your favorite organizations. Thanks. Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. Up next, we've got an interview with Zach Lanfear, one of the owners of Bleeding Heart Brewery in Palmer, Alaska. Zach, how are you doing today, sir? Doing well, doing well. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Hey, you survived another Frozen River Fest. What did you think of our little shindig down here? Oh, Frozen River is always one of my favorite uh, events. I mean, between that one and Talkeetna and Haynes, Frozen River is is great. Seeing the community come out, the bands playing, everybody's outside, the fireworks, the fire pits, the food trucks. It's it's a great time. It's one of the ones that I look forward to every year. Well, we're certainly happy to have you guys here. So first thing I want to ask you about before I forget is I just saw where you guys are doing a collaboration brew with, I think it was Magnetic North, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, correct. And We've, you're, um, you're brewing a Burton Ale. God love you. We are. We are. It's um, This is the fourth collaboration uh, that we've done together. And actually the first time I've, I've, I've been able to be there. Um, previous years, obviously I've been teaching, uh, on those days. And so this year, since I'm on my sabbatical, uh, I was able to be there for the brew and we had Mason there and yeah, it was a, it was a good time. Um, we're really excited about this Burton. We haven't landed on a name yet. Um, but we're also going to barrel age it and release it in the fall. So it's a, it's a classic style. Yeah, it's a classic style that I love, but that is practically extinct. So why don't you describe it to our listeners if they don't, you know, your average person probably has no idea what you mean when you say we're brewing a Burton Ale. So Burtons are kind of like the granddaddies of barley wines. Uh, they initially originated uh, as an English style. Um, and so we wanted to throw back to that you know old school uh beer anymore everybody's i mean and we are too uh, doing like hazies and all these different variations of ipas and um we did a burton about four years ago and we thought it was time to do it again yeah i brewed a couple zach henry and i have done a couple at saint elias I think we call the first a Burton and call the second one a winter warmer just so people would know what we were talking about but I personally <laughs> I love the style you know it's kind of like I sometimes describe it to people as it's sort of like an IPA but it's a little sweeter it's a little darker it's a little it's a little heavier um beer you know not not yeah. like, you know into not up into barley wine strength category but still in it and it's uh it's one of those styles that was incredibly popular for like a century and then it just went away you know in the mid 20th century people pretty much just stopped drinking them and they stopped brewing them so which is a shame because i love them yeah there's a few companies that are still doing them uh on on a large quantity this one is not to the alcohol uh, gravity that a barley wine would be like we're talking about, but it's still going to hit roughly 
if it all checks out roughly nine to ten percent um and then we're going to barrel age it it is a little sweeter it's a copper in color this one's a, a nice rich copper color mm-hmm. um and i think it's just going to be it's going to be a banger yeah for I, th- sure. I think the ones we brewed came in just around eight and a half you know so, yeah yeah stronger yep. than the stronger than your average bear but uh, not yes. not super strong. So no, no, it's a and and like I said, it's it's a like a stepping stone into that that uh, rich history, deeper, darker, older beer styles. Um, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love an IPA. I love um, a number of newer uh, variants and styles. But Burton barley wines, uh, you know winter warmers those are always fun yeah i like and then one piece of history i always remember with the burtons is they were still so popular during world war ii that the brits would say when a pilot was shot down right and what happened to him they'd say he's gone for a burton like he just <laughs> he just stepped out to get a beer you know they don't want to you know the british they don't want to say he's dead you know, yeah it's like uh he's gone for a burton like he just he's off to go on to get a beer that's uh, funny but uh yeah so uh well that's great i really look forward to trying that when uh when it's released what else have you guys been up to lately well you know how january is it's mm-hmm. always a slow season uh, but we're starting to pick back up we in december we did um you know, our bar, our barrel release program, our barrel program releases all happened in December. We also did some dinners with pairing. Um, January, we just kind of tried to keep the lights on uh, after that. And then February, we had a Valentine's dinner. We're starting to pick up, uh, the business starting to pick up. What we're excited about coming up in March, our plan is to have our first little uh, indoor concert now that Amco's kind of yeah. allowed for um, a release of some of those rules, uh, have relaxed them a little bit. And so we're looking forward to St. Patty's Day weekend on March 16th. We're going to have some music inside live from the living room, uh, the little alcove that we have in there. We're going to set up a band and hang out for St. Pat's. We'll have a special going on usually we we do all house uh corned beef and cabbage and and a good old-fashioned potato soup no green beer though no No green green beer beer. we're we're back on the we're back on the no green beer train good man (laughs) good man i i i in this show i I told people they should pour green beer down the drain they wouldn't be no absolutely traditional for saint patty's day have yourself a stout um, That's right. So let me ask you this question, and I probably have asked you this before, but I, I have a lousy memory, so I'm going to ask it again. Are you guys planning to do anything different with your licensing now that we're under the new regime as, uh, vis-a-vis trying to get a restaurant eating place license, or are you going to continue to operate under your taproom rules? So I contacted Amco about the the restaurant eating place license uh, right now. Palmer City Limits has zero any licenses available, basically, because okay. um, it's based per capita. So our next step is going to be trying to get uh, the city to then petition to Amco to release some of them. Um, but that's a whole another 
ball of yarn, you know. Hmm. I'm going to get some tips from Doug down in your neck of the woods and yeah. well, I see think how I some, do that. I think there's some talk about basically the incorporated cities um, getting Amco to turn over to them the restaurant eating place decisions, yes. right? So, because again, why should, if you want to open a restaurant in wherever that's within a city, why should you have to go to the state board to get them to yep. okay it? You should just be able to go to your local city council or whatever and say, hey, I want to have a restaurant. I want to serve beer and wine and have them go, yeah, Omni Domni, we bless you. Go forth, have a restaurant. Um, yeah. Because uh, it's again, it's not like it's a package store or uh, no. beverage dispensary license. And so. not for nothing, we're already running. We're already serving food out of a small DEC-approved kitchen. Mm-hmm. We're already serving beer. We're already serving, you know, mead and cider because right. we have the winery manufacturing now and the winery retail. We have the brewery manufacturing, the brewery retail. So it w- isn't going to make a big impact on the city at all for us to yeah. also have a REPL um, and then we could do a few more things. Yeah, like you could serve wine from somebody else's winery. Exactly. Just from yours. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully that's the direction the state will move in. I, it, it's it's the logical thing to do, which probably means they'll do the exact opposite. But right. uh, Yeah, never would, try to Never confuse a situation with logic. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what else? Are you guys obviously you got the, your big St. Patty's Day coming up. Um, have you got any? You got any moves you're planning to make in the equipment area? Are you guys happy with what you have now? Do you need more of anything? Are you got anything lined up? Well, our next. I mean, it's always phase two or phase three. You know, whatever the next step is. Uh, we would love to do a canning line, just a small footprint canning line, 16-ounce pounders. Um, but if we do that, we also want to do at least two more fermenters because everything's already piped in and plumbed in. It's ready to go. If we could drop two more fermenters, and we'd probably do 10-barrel unit tanks so we could double batch and do, like, the beet IPA and the Valley Trash, um, and that would start the canning uh, program, basically. Um, that's that's future. You know, that's the big hope for the future. Um, we've got our anniversary, uh, officially eight years, but basically 10 years of Bleeding Heart is in April. And so we're going to have that. And then May, we'll have a Cinco de Mayo menu. And then we'll start our summer hours. And before you know it, it'll be tourist season and it'll be crazy again. Yep. It always is. So yeah. anything, uh, any other uh, new releases you've got coming out uh, besides, I mean, obviously the Burton Ale is going to take a while. You got the Burton Ale will take some time. Yeah. <laughs> you got anything else that's coming out in the next couple of months that people should be on the lookout for? Uh, we just dropped our hazy uh, that we actually debuted there at the Frozen River Fest. It's called Then Everyone Clapped um, because we finally have been able to make a hazy work. Uh, it's taken some time to make it actually hazy without adding any crazy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, chem- not chemicals, but these adjuncts that you can now add that keeps everything cloudy. Like we don't we, we're trying to do this naturally, you know. 
So that dropped. Our stouts are in um, currently in the Connex and ready to go. So it is stout season. So we have rotating stouts. Um, and then we will start uh, moving forward again with lighter beers and sours here in a couple of months. We've got a Yinling, a Yingling uh, spinoff uh, coming out also in a couple of weeks that we're pretty excited about. A lot of people are looking for, you know, a lager or a Pilsner. I was going to say it's going to be a lager, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, and we get asked that a lot if we, you know, if we've got all kinds of different versions of beers there on tap, but sometimes a guy's just like, I just want beer tasting <laughs> beer. I'm like, all right, we got you. Yeah. What we used to call the training wheels beer. Yeah, exactly. This, yeah. Won't, this won't offend you. Drink it. Right. <laughs> Well, good. That all sounds good. It's funny you're talking about the the IPAs. I, I don't know if you saw, but I just earlier in the show here, I interviewed Clark Pels, and uh, he was rocking a hat at uh, January Bartlewine Festival that said, um, make IPAs clear again on it. Nice. And uh, <laughs> it was like, he, I told him he could have sold 100 of those if he had. Oh, absolutely. would have been buying them. I can't remember when we worked really hard to try and get them to be clear instead of working really mm-hmm. hard to try to get them to be hazy. Yeah, we did an interview the other day. Well, the other day is such a relative term. It was probably a, a month ago uh, with Corey Brister over at the Ale House because we did our tap takeover over there. And he asked us, you know, what what is one trend you would like to see come back? And I was like, bitter, clear, old school IPAs. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's what I miss. That's Those are the IPAs that I remember uh, you know, coming up on, and that's what I miss. And so our Bitter Union beer, which is our anniversary beer, we always try to throw it back to, you know, 7 8%, 100 IBUs, a nice rich color, uh, multi-back, but bitter and hoppy, and that's mm-hmm. that should be dropping also uh, in April. So Good. that's a throwback because we miss them. <laughs> yeah, I miss them. I miss them too. So. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, Zach. I really appreciate it. Hey, you bet, Bill. Always a pleasure. And uh, any when uh, any of these stuff releases, uh, make sure you give me a, a hi-ho, and I will get it out here on the radio so folks know to look for it. All right. Sounds good. Hopefully, you'll make it out to the Valley again someday. 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 Got to get up there. I got to get up there and buy some more onions eventually. So (laughs) there you go. All right. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldana. We'll be right back with our next segment. Clock it out, about to kick off the weekend There's a stretch of black top, I ain't never seen a cop So I'm pushing it a little past ten Pulled a little money from the bank Put it in a tank Shined up the windshield glass Don't know where the night might lead Ain't nowhere to be But I gotta get there fast There's a cold beer calling my name Feel a good time coming Got a new song humming
in the front row holding up a red big flame Or wrap around porch with a citronella torch Yeah, you know I'm down either way There's a chance that tonight might be the night that we I ain't ever gonna forget Yeah, everybody's turning it up I got a little buzz and I ain't even had one yet There's a cold beer calling my name Feel a good time coming out a new song humming and the sunset's doing its thing Feeling lucky as a seven year Sometimes heaven is a pocket full of payday green And my baby put sugar on me Yeah, sure been a pretty damn good day And there's a cold beer calling my name It's calling my name Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. I'm your host, Bill Howell. In this month's style segment, let's talk about stouts. Since St. Patrick's Day is only a couple of weeks away, it seems fitting to talk about the style of beer most closely associated with all things Irish, stouts. Stouts are warm fermented ales that are known for their dark color, generally an opaque deep brown or black, as well as a roasted character that's often compared to dark chocolate or coffee. Both traits derive from the use of roasted grains in the brewing of these beers. Traditional English stout recipes rely primarily on the bitterness from these roasted grains to balance the sweetness of the other malt and provide a dry finish, so they tend to show very little hop character. American craft brewed versions tend to have a bolder hop presence. Stouts, as we all know them today, evolved from stout porters, which were very popular in London in the 1800s. The term stout first emerged in the 1700s in England to describe the high-alcohol, bolder-flavored version of any beer style, but over time it came to be closely associated with this porter style. In the late 1800s, as porters fell out of favor, the designation stout porter was simplified to just stout. There are many different styles of stout offered by brewers today. The most widely known is the Irish dry stout, popularized by Guinness. Despite its dark color, Irish dry stout is generally a very light style, with rarely more than 4% alcohol by volume. However, for the African and Asian markets, Guinness brews a completely different style, known as foreign extra stout, which at around 8% alcohol by volume is twice the strength of its standard Irish dry stout. Another popular style is oatmeal stout, in which oatmeal is added to the mash bill, resulting in a richer, silkier mouthfeel and a full head. The sweet or milk stout, brewed with the addition of lactose, also known as milk sugar, was very popular in the early 20th century, when it was thought to be beneficial to nursing mothers. After nearly dying out, it is enjoying a revival among craft brewers today. American stouts, higher in alcohol and brewed using large additions of assertive American hops, are also a staple of American craft brewers. Finally, there is Russian Imperial Stout, a style first brewed in England for export to the czars of the Russian Empire. This style has become hugely popular among craft brewers and drinkers, particularly here in the U.S., Imperial stouts are usually above 8% alcohol, and the best examples are full-bodied, rich, and complex. They will often have the flavors and aromas of dried fruits, coffee, and dark chocolate. 
Imperial stouts are also a favorite style for barrel aging, usually in used bourbon or other spirits barrels. The big stout flavors can stand up to the elements added by the barrel without being overwhelmed. When it comes to pairing stouts with food, the classic match is a dry Irish stout with oysters on the half shell. The briny flavor of the oysters is perfectly complemented by the roasted notes from the stout. Dry stouts also work well with traditional fish and chips. The heavier American stouts pair well with grilled meats like steaks or pork roasts. Imperial stouts, with their rich flavors and higher alcohol, make excellent matches with chocolate desserts, like mousse or chocolate candies. If you're interested in trying local examples of stouts, there's a plethora to choose from. St. Elias Brewing keeps its mother's milk Irish stout on tap continuously and regularly has barrel-aged Russian Imperial stouts on offer. Kenai River Brewing has its Swift Water Stout as well as its Breakfast Beer, which is a mashup of oatmeal and milk stout. It too has Russian Imperial Stouts on offer on occasion. Cassock's Brewery has its Roughneck Stout, its Smoked Russian Imperial Stout, and its Stotney Stotney Imperial Stout. In fact, most breweries in Alaska offer a stout or two, if not continuously, then on a special release basis. So if you want to celebrate St. Patrick's Day with a traditional brew, pour yourself a nice stout and pour the green beer down the drain. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes him feel mellow. Whiskey's too rough, champagne costs too much. Vodka puts my mouth in gear This little refrain should help me explain As a matter of fact, I like beer He likes beer My wife often frowns when we're out on the town And I'm wearing a suit and a tie She's sipping vermouth and she thinks I'm uncouth When I yell as the waiter goes by I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes him feel mellow. Whiskey's too rough. Champagne costs too much. Vodka puts my mouth in gear. Why this little refrain should help me explain As a matter of fact, I like beer He likes beer Last night I dreamed that I passed from the scene And I went to a place so sublime Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. In another style segment, let's talk about coffee beers. It's a well-known fact that we Alaskans love our coffee. Blame it on the long, dark days or the cold winters, but it seems like there's a coffee shop or espresso stand on just about every other corner. 
So it stands to reason that blending the flavors of coffee into beer would be right up our alley. First, though, a reminder of what coffee beers are not. Coffee beers are not beers to which caffeine has been added. The addition of pure caffeine to alcoholic beverages was outlawed by the Food and Drug Administration in 2010 after underage students were hospitalized after drinking the caffeine and alcohol-infused beverage for loco. While the addition of pure caffeine was outlawed, it is still legal to use other substances which contain caffeine, such as coffee or chocolate, as ingredients. Coffee and beer are a lot like beverage bookends. One is typically consumed in the morning and one at night, and on certain days or occasions, the two can be flipped. For longtime drinkers of stouts and porters, the taste of coffee is apparent in the brew, even if no beans were used. Thanks to roasted grains, the longer the kiln, the more likely a beer will take on notes of coffee. Despite being bookends to the day, coffee and beer have much in common. Both require roasting, be it beans or grain. They offer effects after drinking due to caffeine or alcohol. Both are widely consumed, have passionate followings, even have their own geek communities. At first blush, while it might not seem the two have a lot in common flavor-wise, they share many taste similarities. There is no more natural pairing in the world than beer and the coffee bean. The deep-roasted flavors of dark beers like stout, swarsh beer, or block lager, porter, doppelbach, and others lend themselves perfectly to the beautiful black bitterness of coffee. To incorporate coffee flavors into their beers, brewers will typically steep coffee grounds in the cold liquor or brewing water for between 24 and 48 hours, letting the water take on the rich coffee aroma and flavor, and the result is then blended with the beer. This cold toddy method is the reason why when you smell a beer made with coffee, it's almost like opening a fresh bag of beans just before the grind. Some brewers will use ground coffee in bags, others the beans themselves. Some will have a roaster prepare the beans for them, others will do it in-house, but what most agree upon is that the cold toddy method works best. This may be in part thanks to the fact that a cold brew method of coffee releases less acid from the beans than the typical hot method. Less acid means a minimal impact on the overall flavor of the beer itself. Hot brewed coffee added to a beer quickly becomes too astringent a drink, brewers say. You can look to pair coffee-flavored beers with a wide variety of different foods. Desserts might be an obvious choice, after all. Who wouldn't enjoy a piece of pecan pie cheesecake along a smooth, rich coffee oatmeal stout? Despite how well it pairs with sweeter dishes, there's no reason a coffee beer couldn't be an excellent companion to a charcoal-grilled ribeye steak at your next cookout. This beer style also makes a nice partner when paired with aged semi-hard cheeses when you're entertaining. If you want to give coffee beers a try, there are several local examples to choose from. St. Elias offers its fair trade coffee porter on a regular basis, and Kenai River Brewing has offered its Declination Stout, brewed with beans from the Declination Roasting Company, in the past. At the Frozen River Festival, Midnight Sun Brewing was pouring its brand new espresso stout. Bleeding Heart... Brewery of Palmer has won numerous awards for its grounds for divorce porter, while Girdwood Brewing has its hippie speedball coffee stout, an oatmeal stout with plenty of roasty flavors from both the grains and cold steep coffee. If you like coffee and beer, be sure to give one of these local brews a try. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We'll be right back.
Hey, hey there, pickle people. This is Murphy with the Veritas Variety Review. Check out Veritas every Saturday from 7 to 9 p.m. We got a rotating cast of players to mix it up for you. Find it here on the only listener-supported public radio station for the central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM. For our final segment this month, it's time for Beer Gear. There's been another excellent book release, so let's talk, beer book, so let's talk about it in this month's Beer Gear. The book is Beer, a Tasting Course, a Flavor-Focused Approach to the World of Beer by Mark Dredge. Dredge has written over half a dozen books on beer prior to his latest. Crack open this book and enjoy a series of guided tastings of more than 50 different beer styles, from smoked black lager to sour fermented wild ales, triple green hopped IPAs, and cask matured barley wines. Which each tasting, the author teaches you how to identify aroma, taste, texture, and finish combined to create the distinctive flavor profile of the particular beer style. He explains which unique ingredients and aspects of the brewing process combine to produce each style, while his quick reviews of the best examples from around the world will lead you to explore further. To help establish your beer palate, the course starts with a solid grounding in the range of flavors found in beer and the art of detecting them, opening your nose, mind, and throat to the complete sensory experience of flavor and pouring the perfect glass. Uh, The book will let you travel through time and across the globe to grasp the ongoing story of beer, its heritage, and its innovation. It also teaches you how to pair beer with food and to cook with beer. Overall, it's an outstanding overview of the many different aspects of the craft beer culture. It's available for $18 in hardcover or $11 in Kindle format. Well, that's it for this month's show. I hope you all have a wonderful month of March and that we all get to enjoy an early spring. Our final quote this month comes from the great Ernest Hemingway. Always do sober what you said you'd do drunk. That will teach you to keep your mouth shut. Until next month, cheers. Beers of Alaska, beer on the last frontier. Beers of Alaska, learn about them here. IPAs, ales and stouts, pilsners, porters too. Microbrew. Settle for the first, for it might be the worst.